say, I just want to say one thing to the parents. So here's the good news. The good news is we have changing tables now installed in two of our bathrooms. One is right here um, by the play yard and the other is in the A-frame, which is in the nursery in a bigger, more open area. Um, the less good news is that that's the one in the A-frame we would love for you all to use because we figured out, um, not we, a person who was installing it, um, who I might be married to, um, figured out that there's brick behind that wall and he couldn't get the last two screws in, so we're not putting our precious cargo on this one until next Sunday. All right, so spread the news, please, everyone. Changing table in the A-frame. We would love for you to use that one. We're going to begin worship this uh, second Sunday of Lent. Uh, remaining in our seats, taking a deep breath where we are, coming into this space, some of us launch all in, beautiful, he has arrived. Some of us move slowly, some of us carry deep burdens, some of us have just made a courageous step even walking in the door, and for some of us this is just what we do right, on Sundays. But this morning we're going to begin with creation song. So I invite us to take a deep breath in. Let it out and feel our bodies as we move into this piece of music and our worship together.
Again, I resume the long lesson. How small a thing can be pleasing, how little in this hard world it takes to satisfy the mind and bring it to its rest. Within the ongoing havoc, the woods this morning is almost unnaturally still. Through stalled air, unshadowed light, a few leaves fall of their own weight. The sky is gray. It begins in mist, almost at the ground and rises forever. The trees rise in silence almost natural, but not quite, almost eternal, but not quite. What more did I think I wanted? Here is what has always been. Here is what will always be. Even in me, the maker of all this returns in rest, even to the slightest of his works, a yellow leaf slowly falling and is pleased.
We're going to move into a hymn, and as is uh, our way here, we kind of go um, into a, a, an eclectic way of music, right, at the table. So this is an old hymn, written in 1882, actually, but um, our version of that, and we invite those who are able to rise in spirit and or in body or stay right where you are as we move into O oh, Love that will not let me go. Oh, love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I love you all. <laughs> Welcome. My name is Sarneet Prasad, and I'm our Sunday morning coordinator here at the table. We are grateful to be together in person and online as we begin the Lent journey together with the worship series called Sabbath Rest, Wendell Berry, and the Sabbath Poetry of Lent. For those of us gathering online, at table.live, Chloe is with you as our host this morning. Please message her in the chat if you have questions 
or need assistance. Today's bulletin is available with a QR code here in the sanctuary, and a link will be shared for those online. If you would like to learn more about our community of faith, please text the word NEW to the number on the screen. We will celebrate baptism at sunrise on Easter morning in the Rose Garden in McKinley Park. If you would like to learn more about the possibility of baptism for you or a child in your family, please join our pastors for an orientation to baptism in the sanctuary after the worship this morning. When you feel ready to connect with others and learn more about the table, our co-pastors lead a series called Growing in Faith, which is designed to help newcomers learn more about how we share life here at the table. Registration is full for Growing in Faith, which begins tonight, and our next Growing in Faith series will be held on Tuesday evening from 6 to 7.30, beginning April 18. Learn more and sign up on our website, thetableumc.org. So this morning, I was asked about lost and found. Uh, I do like to mention that some weeks we find some things and we put it right at the back. And sometimes I um, put it in our closet there. So please, if you have lost your umbrella or if you have misplaced your um, cup, I have it. <laughs> so please come and find me after the service. I invite you to remain seated as we continue to move in worship with our music team sharing every grain of sand.
Good morning, friends. My name is Emily Gardner. Um, I'm on the administrative board here at the table, and I represent our littlest ones um, in the nursery and godly play. I would like to invite our children to move with our teachers upstairs to the godly play room. Um, our musicians will play some walkie music for them. Godly play is a ministry with children on Sunday mornings. Our storytellers share stories from scripture and invite children to wonder together about the love and mystery of God. While we have loving and professional childcare for our youngest kids in the A-frame all morning, um, Godly Play is designed for our kids in elementary school, so feel free to uh, accompany your kids back there.
So our reading this morning comes from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. I'll be sharing from the First Nations translation, which is an indigenous translation of the New Testament. Um, And we invite you to follow along either in your Bibles at home or on the screen up here. A man named Conquers the People, Nicodemus, came to Creator Sets Free, Jesus, in secret at night. He was one of the separated ones, the Pharisees, and a headman of the tribes of wrestles with Creator, Israel, who sat in the great council. Out of the shadows he whispered, Wisdom Keeper, we know the great spirit sent you to teach us. No one can perform powerful signs like these unless the maker of life walks with him. I speak from my heart, Creator sets free answered. Only one who has been born from above can see Creator's good road. Conquers the people was surprised by this strange answer and he asked, can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter his mother's womb to be born a second time? Listen closely, Creator sets free answered. One must be born of both water and spirit to walk Creator's good road. The human body only gives birth to natural life, but it takes the spirit of Creator to give birth to spiritual life. Do not be surprised that I said to you, you must be born from above. Everyone born in this way is like the wind that blows wherever it wants. You can hear its sound, but no one knows where it comes from or where it goes. How can these things be? Conquers the people asked. Creator sets free, looked gently but firmly into his eyes and continued, how can it be that a wisdom keeper and spiritual leader of the tribes of wrestles with creator does not understand these things? Listen closely, for you fail to hear what we are talking about. We are speaking about things we know to be true. But if you do not believe me when I talk about things on earth, how will you believe me when I talk about the things from the spirit world above? For there is only one who has gone up and come down from the world above, the true human being. Do you not remember when drawn from the water, Moses lifted up a pole with a snake on it in the wilderness? This is what will happen to the true human being. So people will put their trust in him and have the life of the world to come that never fades away full of beauty and harmony. For context, long ago, when the tribes of wrestles with Creator, Israel, were wandering in the desert, they did not listen to the Great Spirit. Poisonous snakes came and bit them, and many were dying. Drawn from the water, prayed for them. So Creator told him to put a snake on a pole and lift it up so the people could see. When they looked at it, they were healed and did not die. Conquers the people remained silent, listening to the words of Creator sets free. The Great Spirit loves this world of human beings so deeply, he gave us his Son, the only Son who fully represents him. All who trust in him and his way will not come to a bad end, but will have the life of the world to come that never fades away, full of beauty and harmony. Creator did not send his Son to decide against the people of this world, but to set them free from the worthless ways of this world. As our musicians move down, I invite us into a spirit of prayer. God, may the depths of your unfolding grace open our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our souls, that we might hear anew 
the good news of your love for the world. May your love align the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts with your hope for the world in this very moment. Amen. Amen. High school students in the United States, especially teen girls, are increasingly miserable. That's the bottom line of an extensive and alarming study that was released last month from the Center for Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. It was a 10-year youth risk behavior survey that I'm sure some of you have seen. Nearly 60% of high school girls in 2021, 60%, expressed persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness. Almost a quarter of high school girls made a suicide plan. The research of New York University's Jonathan Haidt shows that the rise of social media is a key instigator in this crisis that we face. And some of you may have seen a viral tweet from Taylor Lorenz of the Washington Post that counters hates research. She says, people are like, why are kids so depressed? It must be their phones. But never mention the fact that we're living in a late stage capitalistic hellscape during an ongoing deadly pandemic with record wealth inequality, zero social security, safety net, and job security as climate change cooks the world. So whether it's your sense that the crisis that we as a community face because our, our children are, are hurting is rooted in the rise of social media, or if you think this is attributed to late-stage capitalist hellscape that we find ourselves in, it would seem to me, as I've worked on this over this last week, we can't reasonably go back to some time beforehand. So we're going to have to grapple we don't have to do anything. We're going to need to grapple with how to find healthier ways forward. This kind of grappling is at the heart of the life and the work and the writing and the day-to-day -day life of Wendell Berry, who would have us actually trace the rise of the crisis back further than social media or pandemic. For Wendell Berry, the rise might most best be understood if we were to look actually at how industrialized agriculture or farming came into being. We might understand the crisis we're in today if we were to trace the ways we have divorced ourselves from one another and from the land over these years. Sarah and I took time early in this week and we watched a documentary film that's called Look and See, a portrait of Wendell Berry. I commend it to anyone that has 90 minutes. For anyone that's found the poetry that we've been working on over this Lenten worship series of Wendell Berry compelling, I think you may learn as we did and be inspired as you look at the world through the heart and mind and soul of Wendell Berry.
It includes incredible footage from a 1974 talk that he gave in Washington called Agriculture for a Small Planet. You see as it goes just those stunning, stunning landscape of rural America. And you're forced or invited to grapple with how all of this has shifted over these last generations. Here's a taste of Wendell Berry's worldview for those that aren't familiar. He writes this in The Unsettling of America, back in the 70s. He says, let me outline briefly as I can what seemed to me the characteristics of opposite kinds of minds. I conceive a strip miner to be a model exploiter. And as a model nurturer, I take the old-fashioned idea or ideal of a farmer. The exploiter is a specialist, an expert. The nurturer is not. The standard of the exploiter is efficiency. The standard of the nurturer is care. The exploiter's goal is money, profit. The nurturer's goal is health, the land's health, their own health, their families, their communities, their countries, the worlds, I would add. Whereas the exploiter asks of a piece of land only how much and how quickly it can be made to produce. The nurturer, says Wendell Berry, asks a question that is much more complex and much more difficult. What is its carrying capacity? That is, how much can be taken from it without diminishing it? What can it produce dependably for an indefinite time? The exploiter, he says, wishes to earn as much as possible by as little work as possible. The nurturer expects certainly to have a decent living from their work, but their characteristic wish is to work as well as possible. The competence of the exploiter is in organization. That of the nurturer, though, is in order. And this is how he describes it. A human order, that is, that accommodates itself both to other order and to mystery. The exploiter typically serves as an institution or an organization. The nurturer, though, serves land, household, community, and place. The exploiter thinks in terms of numbers, quantities, hard facts. The nurturer in terms of character, condition, quality, and kind. Wendell Berry has devoted his life to trying to help us find our way, to unlearn those exploiter ways that have been ingrained within us and to reclaim a sense of what it means to be nurturers. And I want to suggest this morning that Wendell Berry's brief contrast between these two, the exploiter and the nurturer, might help us, might help us to sound the alarm on how John 3.16 has been strip-mined from its context by exploiters in the name of Jesus to lead us sadly far, far astray from the good news of our Christian tradition. 
I want to help us debunk the exploiter's exclusive and transactional readings of John 3.16 and invite you and me and us to celebrate an inclusive, grace-inspired, non-transactional way of hearing and living in response to John 3.16 within its wider context. Wendell Berry argues that the modern urban industrial society is based on a series of radical disconnections between body and soul, between spouses, marriage and community, community and the earth. At each of these points of disconnection, the collaboration of corporation, government, and experts sets up a profit-making enterprise that results in the further dismemberment and impoverishment of the creation and only by restoring the broken connections can we be healed. I want to suggest that, that readings that boil John 3 down to, if you believe you'll have eternal life, are based themselves in a series of radical disconnections that result in the impoverishment of the gospel. And by restoring those connections, we too could be healed. In short... I want to help us, invite us to go from strip mining to farming John's gospel. Martin Luther called John 3.16 the gospel in miniature. Yet exploiters have hijacked this summary of the gospel by turning it from a proclamation of love and invitation into a threat of contempt and exclusion. We could walk away and allow the loudest voices to determine what counts and what doesn't as Christianity. But I wonder what might happen if instead we stay. We stay and we practice together being nurturers of a deeper, deeper way of following Jesus. For context, it may be worth noting that John 3 actually takes place right after Jesus has just turned over the tables in the temple. So it's, it's no wonder that when a Jewish leader from the temple comes to Jesus, they come whispering in the night, as Emily just shared it for us. Of course, Nicodemus comes in the night after Jesus has just turned the tables over on his worldview and understanding I do want to note that this isn't just like a casual conversation between two newcomers out at the farm like myself and Heidi who might go back with agrarian roots, but we don't really know too much about farming. This is an actual conversation in this moment between like someone who has been steeped in large industrial farm operations for their whole lives and Wendell Berry. That's who's talking here in the middle of the night. Two people that have known these worldviews, lived inside of them, and have different ways of seeing what it's all about. I would guess that Jesus might have seen the Pharisee as an exploiter. And I am confident that Jesus wanted to form nurturers. As Jesus and Nicodemus go back and forth, a fascinating image of the cross is evoked. And steeped in the law, Nicodemus would have known that the story of the Israelites in the wilderness comes to us from Numbers 21, and he would have known this story well. 
Thus, Jesus can like simply allude to Moses lifting up a bronze serpent and move on. Because that story lived inside the body of Nicodemus. But it might not for all of us. Nicodemus would have known that story like a nurturing farmer knows the soil. See, the the Israelites, for those that aren't familiar with this, the Israelites had self-destructively turned against God. And God gracefully delivers them in numbers. And like last week, the devil is again in the details. See, God could have delivered God's people in any number of ways, any imaginable way. Yet God chooses to deliver the people from suffering through Moses by placing a bronze serpent on a pole. It's such an odd illusion, a bronze serpent on a pole. You can skip right through it in John 3.16. The version that Emily shared today actually provides for context. It tells us a little more about the story, so we heard it. But most of our English translations assume that it's already in your bones. You know what it says. See, the serpents back then were killing the Israelite people. They were the worst thing that the people of God could imagine. These serpents that were biting them. And so we might have then the eyes to see that Jesus is being cast as a new Moses. The cross lifted up as a new bronze serpent. But this isn't the the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus absorbing punishment on your behalf. This isn't the the Christus victor atonement of Jesus conquering even the powers of death. This This is otherwise. Reverend Dr. Matthew Meyer Bolton might help us. He shares about it in this way. The bronze serpent takes what was for the wandering Israelites one of the very worst things in the world, a lethal snake, and remakes it into one of the very best, a life-saving instrument of healing. Accordingly, the Christian cross can be understood as an imperial weapon of torture and death, divinely remade into a sign of hope and new life, a sword transformed into a plowshare. And viewed from this angle, the cross is a poetic proclamation. God is turning and will turn the world around, redeeming even the worst of the worst, Swords into plowshares, serpents, serpents into slaves, crosses into trees of life, making all things new. Exploitative readings of John 3.16 would divorce that single verse from its context. But nurturing readings of John 3.16 might invite us to tend the soil that these words come out of and then get slapped on arms and tattooed all over our bodies and presented in all kinds of sports arenas. And thankfully, folks who've spent their lives devoted this can help us. John 3.16 opens, as you know, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Today, mostly when we hear that, we think about this as a degree to which God loves the world. How much does God love the world? So much. God loves the world so much, for God so loves the world. I tend to say that often. I tend to use that, and that's taking it utterly out of its context. See, the 17th century Old English, the word so, it actually meant in this way. So it would make perfect sense in the King James Version to have the Greek word hutos translated 
in this way as, as so, because that's how people would hear that word. But today when we hear so, we hear like quantitatively, how much, so much. But more, more true to the text, we might hear this, for God loved the world in this way. Then we have to do some more work to figure out what that means. In, in what way? Then John 3.16 read for, reads, For God loved the world in this way God gave God's only Son. It's less about the extent of God's love and more about a way or a pattern of God's love. And in this pattern, this giving of the Son, you might hear, as Nicodemus would, echoes of the story of Abraham and Isaac, the giving of a child. It's right there, and we rush right past it. In the story of Abraham and Isaac, it's a story of, of extravagant, non-transactional faithfulness. And then so too is the story of God's child being given as, as an extravagant, non-transactional expression of God's faithfulness and love for the cosmos. Matthew Meyer Bolton boils it down. He says, in short, God loves in this way, the Greek word hutos, graciously, mercifully, faithfully, devotedly, and universally for the sake of the world, or the Greek cosmos. If you've spent time in John's gospel, you'll know that throughout the gospel, the world is often depicted in negative terms. It's shorthand for like a foil, the ways opposed to God, the ways of the world. So it's fascinating to note then that John 3 says that God loved the world in this way. Not God hates the world, but loves that small group of faithful believers. Didn't say that. Nicodemus and Jesus would have known that when God redeemed the Israelites with a bronze serpent, it was all the Israelites, not Jen because she looked the right way at it, not David because he said he knows what it means, but everyone was redeemed. A nurturing reading of John 3.16 then might begin by humbly acknowledging that in the face of those exploitative readings that would say everyone isn't included in this, it's only the ones that look correctly at the bronze serpent or the ones that name it correctly, a more nurturing response would be to say that we might take a little more humility in this and acknowledge that we might not be the only ones suited to prescribe how God's saving work gets done in the world. Whew. It's true that the next verse even goes further. Jesus underlines this, says, God did not send the child, the son, into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through that child. So what do we do with all this? I would, I would actually suggest that we're charged to proclaim and to live out in varied ways and together as a community again and again and again and again that the good news of God's extravagant love and mercy is for the whole world, the whole cosmos, without exception. And to allow that good news to actually sink into the depths of our bones, 
into who we are and how we are. Allow God's vision of Sabbath to deepen within our hearts, within our souls. And whether, whether we believe that the rise of social media or living in late-stage capitalist hellscape or industrial agriculture are the causes or some combination of the suffocating misery that our teenagers are living in right now. It would seem that God needs the church to learn again to be the church. To center Sabbath and to share the radical story of God's love. Love that, as we sang, will not let you or the whole cosmos go. And maybe a step into this could be restoring some of the broken connections that we've come to assume or take for granted. To find ways to take healing shape together as we nurture life-given, even life-saving community at a moment in which our world is, is breaking and aching. To let go of the lure to monetize our minutes, to monetize our hours or monetize our posts, our lives, embracing instead our own finitude, our own absolute fragility, while trusting God to love us just as we are. For the teens among us, or for those of us that can get trapped in our own scrolling, Maybe a, a next step is to put down our phone, even for just a short time. To use the hands that scroll to craft something, to bake something, to knit something, to write something, to make something with our hands or prepare the soil. And I know I've been talking with so many that are rethinking vocations wondering about what this new job means or what this transition into retirement means, wondering about a relationship that they've been in for so long that they're not sure about. And I wonder if we might slow down to maybe reconnect with that Gaelic-Irish word, anamkara, the soul friend. Maybe it's taking a walk or going to coffee with someone that just might become a new soul friend. Maybe you have some other ways that the Sabbath vision of God could take root and help you to untangle yourself from the ways of the exploiter. For some of us, we practice these slower ways deeply, and it might be opening up to how we invite or welcome other in, others into those rhythms alongside us. To dwell more deeply, if for just the time, together in the ways of nurturers, taking small steps toward restoring broken connections. I do want to acknowledge that for Wendell Berry, the step toward restoring those broken relationships doesn't actually begin with a step at all. It begins with standing, simply and truly where we are, allowing our hearts to soften, our minds to quiet, our bodies to calm, and our souls to become more tender, affectionate, loving, 
as we open to the possibilities of nurturing health, the land's health, our own, our families, our communities, and the cosmos. So may we hear once more these words of Wendell Berry, and may they guide us to embrace Sabbath as we root ourselves and stand in this little corner of the cosmos, one part of a huge cosmos that God loves. Again, I resume the long lesson. How small a thing can be pleasing, how little in this hard world it takes to satisfy the mind and bring it to rest. Within the ongoing havoc, the woods this morning is almost unnaturally still. Through stalled air, unshadowed light, a few leaves fall of their own weight. The sky is gray. It begins in mist, almost at the ground, and rises forever. The trees rise in silence, almost natural, but not quite. Almost eternal, but not quite. What more did I think I wanted? Here is what has always been. Here is what will always be. Even in me, the maker of all this returns in rest, even to the slightest of their works, a yellow leaf slowly falling and is pleased. Amen. Jesus invited his friends long ago to join him at the table for a meal and is calling all of us now to gather and share in this feast at God's table. Before we do that, we prepare a bit for this feast by taking some time to acknowledge the ways we fall short of living out God's Sabbath vision, right? So this is an invitation right now. Um, don't get out your phone. Don't, you know, sermon's over. Don't start your to-do list right now. Don't do it. It's only going to be two minutes. and I'm gonna count it, okay? That's what I do. Sometimes I help my friends who just keep on racing. True that, true that. So we're gonna pause as our prayer of confession like we did last week and in the weeks to come. Last week it was one minute, this week it's two. For a moment of collective silence, holding in our hearts whatever it is, that disconnection, that break with nurturing that we might experience. Mm -hmm. 
In silence, let us pray. Friends, the God who is God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, loves the world in this way, by making all things new. And in the making, you are forgiven. You are blessed by God this day, this moment, the moments and the days to come. Let God's beloved children say, Amen. I invite those in the sanctuary to rise as you are moved in spirit or in body and to join with us in the call and response that is the church's practice for recognizing the belovedness of God in each neighbor around us. Friends, may the peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. yet to take shape. God, the sculptor, the painter, the creator, touched the swirling mass. 
God's hand separated earth from water and water from sky. God touched the earth and plants turned green and fruit grew ripe. And to celebrate, God threw holy fireworks in the skies, placing stars in the heavens. God touched the oceans and rivers and ponds and swimming beings made waves in the water. And God reached to the sky and things with wings took flight. And God looked upon the whole cosmos and said, this, this is good. When everything was done, God took clay and formed an image of God's own self and breathed into it God's own breath and said, you're the one I've been imagining. You and the cosmos around you, my beloved creation, is good. But it wasn't good for long. Those exploitive ways got inside of our relationships and we became disconnected one from another, from God, from the land, from place. So God reached inside God's own heart and pulled out that nurturing way and placed it in a form that the people might recognize, a holy human being named Jesus. And God set Jesus on earth to remind us of all that we are and all that we are called to be. did all that he could to tell us how much God loves us and to show us how to love each other but we couldn't accept that and we couldn't agree about it and we became afraid and in the end Jesus was given away by the very ones who thought they loved him best because the challenge was too great for them but before he was taken Jesus gathered his friends around a table and promised them and promises us that he'll never leave us alone, but will come back and take us home with him. And like those long ago companions, we don't always get it, the message that Jesus is bringing to us or what the coming and going and coming again means for us and with us, but we can be grateful and we can sing the mystery that is our faith. Jesus gathered with his friends. He took simple meal that was their Passover dinner. He took bread and wine. He blessed it and he gave thanks to God, saying, I'm sharing this meal with you now so that when you gather together, you may do so in remembrance of me.
invite us into prayer together with the words that Jesus shared with his companions so very long ago. It has been changed and um, massaged through the generations, right? And then the church named this prayer the Lord's Prayer. We invite you to address God in the way that is most dear and true to your heart. Let us pray. Our mother who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Pour your spirit upon each of us gathered here, God, and over the gifts which are before us. Make these gifts your body and love, and make us through them your hope alive in the world. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All are welcome at the table of God's love. And when we say all, we mean everyone. And I just want to say, y'all sound amazing. Omari, I feel that we have a choir, right? <laughs> you sound amazing. In all of our um, comings and goings in this room and the weather and pandemic, we have tried out so many uh, different ways, whether it's coming, going outside, being at home, at our own tables, or out wherever we are online. So this morning, the rain is supposed to be here in about 25 minutes, so we're going to leave from the back for communion this morning, okay, those of us who are in this room, going out that door um, that you came in, most of us, and coming in this side door, and then coming back to your seat. There are places all around us um, to be in prayer and contemplation during or before this feast. We want everyone to know that on the plate there is fresh baked bread. This one's actually warm. And, uh, and there are also crackers for those of us who cannot eat gluten. And in the cup there is uh, grape juice, just so everyone knows. There's not a single thing you can do to mess this up. We're in this together. Our numbers are rising, so it's a little bit, you know, we're closer in. So we watch over each other, right? And um, just watch the persons around you. We help each other. There's new people here every week. So you are not the first new person, do you hear me? Okay. Friends, this is the bread of life and the body of Christ broken for you. And this is the cup of God's love and forgiveness poured out for the whole world.
we encourage those praying with candles to stay for just as long as you desire. God, for the depth of your love for the world, for every trembling leaf, for every grain of sand, we give you thanks. In the name of Jesus Christ, our hope, we offer our lives. Amen. 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 Friends, we hope you will continue wondering about what next steps God might have in store for your life, whether that is giving generously to help this community's life together align with God's love that is already on loose in the world, or whether that might be signing up to join that next Growing in Faith series that will begin, or staying after 11 today to wonder about what baptism could mean for you or a family member. We trust that God God's love will continue to hold you as you find your way. We're going to go out in song this morning. I invite those in the sanctuary to stand as you're willing and able. This is our music team sharing Gravity of Love. I lift my eyes up to the hills. This my morning song, where my help comes from. I lift my eyes up to the hills. This my evening song, where my help comes from. This is the gravity of life, just as the moon follows the sun all around. Just as the universe expands, your love is reaching, you're holding everything. We lift our eyes up to the hills.
Even as we run, hope is chasing us. As we find it within ourselves and together to pause, to root ourselves in this little place of the cosmos, may we trust that God's love will never let the world go. Amen.